Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Hey, BBC, how are you this morning? Woohoo! Y'all have no idea how excited I am, I am to finally be here with you. I have been looking forward to this for a long time as Kaylee and I've talked um, over several months, but even before that, I just want you to know that it is my favorite thing when I get to speak at our Christian colleges because I believe that you are the generation that's going to knock down the walls of slavery. I really believe that. There has not been a generation before this one that was so socially justice-minded. This is a generation that I don't even have to explain why injustice is so painful to the heart of God. You guys just get it and you're ready to go to war for it. So I feel like my generation has been kind of like knocking on that wall, we've been knocking on that wall, but you guys are the generation that's going to rise up and just tear it down, and that's why I'm so excited to be here today. Also, it is snowing, and that's fun. Yeah, I got up this morning, opened the curtains, I was like, oh, it's snowing and big, big, beautiful flakes. Anybody that knows where I come from, Joplin, Missouri, we don't get much of this anymore. We seem to be that line in the sand where the, the warm air meets the cool air, and so snow becomes just terrible ice, and um, a nice thunderstorm becomes a horrific tornado, and so that's kind of where I'm from. So I, I was just goofy all morning with this big smile on my face. I pulled into the parking lot and realized my cheeks actually hurt because I had been smiling the whole way in, so probably all the other cars are like, what's wrong with that crazy woman? But um, I am excited about our topic this week. As you know, uh, the mission of Rafa House is that we want to end the trafficking and sexual exploitation of children. And we do this through um, really three objectives. The first one is um, that we want to provide aftercare for child survivors, and that's where most of our work is focused on. So we have safe house campuses in Cambodia, Thailand, and Haiti working directly with child survivors. And then also, we want to prevent this from happening. We want to locate and target communities that are highly at risk for exploitation, abuse, and trafficking to occur, and we want to go in and empower people within that community um, to stop that before the kids go over the edge of the cliff. And then the third thing is that we just want to educate people. We want everybody to know. We want you to be aware and educated on this so that you guys can take action too. And so freedom is really at our, at our heartbeat. But I want you to know that at the very center of Rafa House, <laughs> we have the secret weapon that the world needs, and that's Jesus Christ. So everything we do, we're combating from a Christ-centered approach. Um, especially in the places that we're working with, um, highly, highly, um, the spiritual warfare is just incredible. And so without Jesus, we feel like there is no hope for healing. And we're going to talk about that throughout this week. 
I wanted to take today's session, and I'll be speaking again on Thursday, and we'll be speaking about freedom for the nations in a more broad approach at that point. But today, I kind of wanted to back up and, and talk about freedom from, um, from the view, viewpoint of Rafa House. And even because I haven't been able to be here before and connect with you, I'd like to share a little bit of my own story with you today. Is that all right if I do that? Um, because what I want you to know about me is that um, I'm a soccer mom from Joplin, Missouri, who didn't even know that children were being bought and sold. And uh, whenever I, whenever this um, kind of hit me in the face and in the heart, uh, it turned my world upside down. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So back in 2003, I, I was minding my own business. I was um, just being a, doing the, the activities of a, of a typical um, stay-at-home mom, and I was really involved in my church. I was um, volunteering at our local crisis center for women, had been doing that for about 12 years, and had always been very passionate about women's issues. Um, but again, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know. And you know, back then in, in 2002 and 2003, we weren't talking about trafficking. A lot of you, like, do you even remember 2002? How old were you guys in two? I, I can't, I'm trying to do the math. I'm like, oh my goodness, they don't, e they don't even have a mint recollection of that time frame. Um, but you guys were like riding your bikes and um, yeah. We didn't know. Oprah wasn't talking about it, CNN hadn't started reporting on it, and we just didn't know. And so I remember there was a, an evening, my father is a prison evangelist, he always has been, maybe you've heard of Amer American Rehabilitation Ministries, it's an international prison ministry, and he had always had a big heart for church leadership and developing leaders um, in, in, in the Lord's church throughout the nations. And so one night, I was sitting across the table from uh, my parents, and my father had just returned from a trip to Cambodia, where he had been leading seminars for church leaders there. And he began to tell a story. And this story changed my life. He had been in a... Um, in a church in Bottombong, Cambodia, which is near the Thai border. It was, the seminar was taking place in broad daylight. There were about 100 people present. I think that's probably about the size of this group. Am I right? Today, maybe about 100 people present. So imagine, it, it's, it's like this. It's daylight, many witnesses present. Now, I do not believe this, this would happen today because there's been so much good work and crackdown and people know that there are consequences for um, these types of actions. But back then, it was the Wild West. And during this leadership seminar, in through the back door walked two men and they were there to pick up a young woman whom they had just purchased from her parents for $200, the price of her life, $200. And these parents had said, hey, she's, she's down at the church. She's converted to Christianity, and you can just pick her up there. Now, my dad doesn't speak the native language of Cambodia, which is Khmer. And so all he knew was that a big uproar was taking place, right? This was, if you can imagine, this was very disruptive um, because these people loved that young woman that was there with them. 
And so finally the translation began to come through and my father was made aware of what was going on and he watched these impoverished church leaders pool whatever money they had out of their own pockets to try to come up with that $200 that they had just paid her parents. And his heart broke. But that wasn't the end of the story. They were able to save that girl that day and they took her down to the church where there were already a couple of girls living at the church coming out of similar situations or on the verge of a similar situation. And these pastors and these teachers from these far-flung churches in Cambodia began to pour out their hearts and say, this is happening all throughout our villages. Girls are disappearing. Sometimes they never come home. Sometimes they come home and they die of HIV AIDS. We wanna do something about this, but we feel powerless. We don't know what to do. My father came home and he told this story around the dinner table. Now my dad is, um, he had always been a very strong uh, man, hadn't seen him cry a lot um, in my upbringing. But I sat across the table from my dad that night and I watched him weep. I watched his shoulders shake. I watched tears fall. And there was a point in my dad's story where he looked across the table at me and he said, Stephanie, what are we going to do about this? I would love to stand here today and tell you that that was my aha moment, <laughs> that that was the moment that the Holy Spirit said, go, go be my freedom fighter, but it would be a lie to tell you that because my reaction to him was actually anger. I was very angry that he would challenge me with something that felt so big and so undoable. I was not capable, I was not qualified. And anyway, I told my father across the table, I'm not sure that that's my problem. That's what I said. I'm not sure that that's my problem. These little girls running around this house tonight, they are my problem. That's where I need to focus my attention. My dad came back and he said, hey, would you just, would you just research it? Would you just see what's, what's going on with this? Would you research if maybe somebody's doing something about this, maybe we can get behind their efforts? Would you just research it? And that, out of respect for my father and my heart for uh, women's issues, I said, yes, I agree to research this issue. For the next six months of my life, six, seven months of my life, um, <sighs> I would put my kids to bed at night and I would go online and I would just read and research. And all of the information was, was there. Even back then, you just had to go digging for it. Now it's kind of more in your face, right? Before today, who knew that human trafficking is a modern day issue? Who, who knew slavery is a modern day issue? Yes, everybody, everybody knows that now. But back then, we had to dig for that information. And the Holy Spirit began to break my heart. 
There was one night about six months into this, this research, and you have to understand, like, <laughs> my friends were sick of talking to me because, you know, I was, I was, I needed to tell people what I was learning. I mean, I had friends that checked out of my life. They're like, we just want you to hang our curtains and quit talking about child slavery, you know? But God was breaking my heart. He was putting something on my heart. There was a night about six months into my research where I stood in my little girls' room, rooms. And my, my little girls are now uh, 21 and 23, so about, probably about your age. And uh, they were sleeping in their twin beds, and there was a big window in between, full moonlight coming through, and um, they had their stuffed animals all you know, like up around their heads, just sleeping peacefully. And I just began to cry in their room as the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, these little girls are no different than those little girls who are right now trapped in massage parlors and karaoke bars and brothels who are being abused So I decided to make a research trip to Cambodia. <laughs> I decided I would go and I would meet this team of passionate Christian leaders, Cambodian leaders, who wanted to do something about their trafficking issues, their own social justice issues. And so I landed in a country where I had never been. To be honest, I didn't even know where, where Cambodia was before my dad started talking. I was thinking it was in Africa. No, it is not. It is in Southeast Asia. It's right there. I know people are like, oh my goodness, they've given her the stage and she did not know where Cambodia was. Um, it's right there, right there between, you know, like Vietnam, Thailand, that, that area there. I landed in, in Cambodia and just immediately was at home among these amazing leaders, strong national leaders. I got a huge education um, the two weeks that I was first on the ground. And at the end of my very first trip, could not have been orchestrated, didn't, didn't plan it, didn't know it was coming. But at the end of that first trip, the pastor who was leading the charge to do something about this, to plant a safe house, in Bong, Cambodia. He approached me and he said, Stephanie, I want to ask you if you'll come with us. There's, there's a little girl, she's about 12 years old, and we've been negotiating with her um, slave owners and they've become very angry with us. In fact, they've told us not to come back. But we thought maybe back then, there weren't very many Westerners in that part of the world. We thought that maybe if, if you went, it could put some pressure on them. To, to let this little girl go. Friends, in 2002, 2003, I'm just gonna be really honest with you. We didn't, we didn't have help. The police were not doing the job. There was no anti-military unit out there, anti-trafficking military unit out there doing this work. And so um, it was really people just people, and a lot of the charge was being led by Christians. I said, yes, I wanna go with you. I need to see this with my own eyes. 
the, the pastor backed me up and he said, hey, I just need to ask you, are you going to be okay if we are not successful in our mission? And I was so new and so naive to this work, I, I couldn't even wrap my mind around what that meant, right? I just knew that it was something that I needed to do. And so I said, no, I, I'll be fine. Let's go. Let's go. We arrived at the place that this little girl was being captive, held captive. And um, go ahead and, and put up the shot of, of the junkyard. This little girl was being held captive by a family who owned, operated, and lived in a junkyard. I, never, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> but here's what, I, here's what I want you all to know, friends, is that when you hear about labor-trafficked children, oftentimes we hear about sex-trafficked children and we hear about labor-trafficked children. I want you to know that there's usually no difference. Because even if a child is trafficked for labor, she is just property to the people who own her. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? And they can use her and violate her in any way that they want. So this little girl was sold in labor to this family and she worked from the time before the sun got up until everybody had gone to bed. She worked to serve, serve, serve. And then at night she was raped by the large extended members of this family who lived in that junkyard. And when we walked into this disgusting, stinky place, and I mean the sun is hot in Cambodia. Truth, truth, the sun is hot in Southeast Asia. The sun was baking down, the smell was awful. Walked into that junkyard with just one of the, of the church women who was allowed to walk in with me. And this beautiful little girl comes running across the junkyard. And I'll never forget it because it turned my world upside down. She grabbed my forearm with both of her hands and she began to say in Khmer. And the church lady began to tell me in English, please don't leave me here this time. Please don't leave me here. Please help me. Please help me. Please don't leave me here. And I began to plead with God that he would have mercy on both of us because I didn't know how I would walk out of that place without her. There were several hours of sitting across a table negotiating for human life with a female matriarch of this family. It blew me away that a mother and a grandmother who had her own children running around and she's loving on them, how she could see this child as less than human, as just property. It broke my heart. Um, this, this is a long story and I'm gonna, sh I'm gonna make this go really fast. <laughs> I, 
I threatened things that I had no, there was no way I could carry through on the threats that I made. I, you know, I knew people in the US government, we were gonna come down hard, you know, yeah, no. Several hours go by and finally, I did a super bad thing that I didn't know was bad at the time. I reached into my, um, I reached into my money belt, which was sopping wet with sweat. <laughs> And I pulled out the $300 that they had given her mother, and I put it on the table, and I said, here's the $300 that you paid her mother. Please, please let us have her back. And that woman took out a little black ledger where she had kept track of every bowl of rice they had ever given her, every pair of flip-flops they'd ever put on her feet to work in the junkyard, to recycle anything out of there that they could find. Anything that had been given to her, they had tracked it and they had charged exorbitant prices with exorbitant interest. And that is how people who are sold into labor trafficking never, never, never work their way out. Does that make sense? Yeah, huge eye-opening moment for me. And she said, I'll take your $300 now and you can have her in six months. And I pled with God, please God, not one more night. Not one more night of being raped in the junkyard, please, dear Lord. Why is it a bad idea to give a trafficker money, a trafficker or a slave owner money? Talk to me. <laughs> she had another girl by the end of the day, right? Yeah. There are still organizations. We learned right off the bat that that is not the way to combat trafficking. That is not sustainable that feeds into the system, into the cycle. But there are still organizations that buy people out of slavery today. I'm here, to, I'm here to make sure that people in the sound of my voice know that that is not a sustainable way to combat trafficking. But we were new, we didn't exist at the time, right? <laughs> to wrap up this story, at the end of that day, I, well, I was walking with that little girl out of that junkyard. Freedom, freedom. And I, held, I had a hold of her hand, and I'll never forget, we walked out on that red clay road, sun baking down, and the Holy Spirit just stopped me. And I turned around, holding her hand, and I looked back at that junkyard. And I knew that that was my story too. In that moment, I realized what Jesus had fully done for me. See, I was a preacher's kid. I never knew I had a testimony. From the moment I could talk, I, I was saying, singing Jesus loves me. And the impact of what he had really done for me had gone right over my head and I didn't even know it until that moment standing there looking at that junkyard having just walked a little girl into freedom, it was all revealed. That's my story too, that Jesus walked into my place of filth and junk and he redeemed me and he walked me into freedom. He walked me into freedom. That's my story and that's your story. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's your story. It's your story. <laughs> It's so cool, it's the coolest story. 
He wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. What is our responsibility to the suffering people of the world? Here's what Jesus said. Let's put that scripture verse up there. I love that we're using this verse today. This is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to propose to you today, BBC, that Jesus Christ was the greatest freedom fighter that ever walked the face of the earth. He wants us to be free. He wants you to be free so that you can help free others. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, on Thursday too. As Christ followers, we are called to lead, to love his people into freedom. He instructs us to do all of the things here, to preach the gospel, feed the hungry, welcome strangers with hospitality, provide with the needy, care for the sick, and free the oppressed. And I'm not just talking about physical oppression. I think that what, what was represented in the story of the little girl from the junkyard is such a, such a spiritual, it's such a spiritual testimony as to what God does for us. It's a physical picture of what God does for us spiritually. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, I want to say to you today that I feel like one of the greatest enemies of freedom is apathy. And this generation, you have a lot to combat with apathy because the information of the world is at your fingertips, right? You, you guys don't even, do you even remember a time when you couldn't quickly Google something? Do you guys remember that? No. <laughs> the information of the world is at your fingertips. We are inundated, constantly inundated with information. We know, we know what's going on in the world. But sometimes because we have so much information constantly pouring into us, it can create apathy. And I just want to challenge you today, BBC students, do not become apathetic in doing what is good. I believe that if, if my journey into child trafficking issues had ended with just that research phase, I think that that would have been very damaging for me. Um, because I would have been way outside of, of the will of God, which is the most dangerous place you can possibly be. Amen? Amen? <laughs> but also because knowledge of something without action into doing something about it is very, it's very damaging to us, to our calling. And so I want to challenge you today not to become apathetic. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Do not let us become weary. God, don't let us become tired. Don't let us become apathetic to the things that are going on in this world that are literally crushing, crushing and oppressing people who are so desperate for freedom. Do you know that you hold the keys to freedom? Turn to somebody next to you and say, you hold the keys to freedom, man. <laughs> hold the keys to freedom. 
Listen, here we are at Rafa House 15 15 years down the road, and I'm telling you, BBC, there is no hope for healing and freedom outside of Jesus Christ. You hold the keys to freedom. You hold the keys to freedom for a hurting, hurting world. Where we're working in Southeast Asia especially, the worldview is Buddhism. And at the very core of Buddhism is karma. And karma says, what comes around, goes around. Distill that down, you get what you deserve. You got sold to that karaoke bar because you're bad. You deserved that. And that's what the girls that walk through our gates at Rafa House, Thailand, and Cambodia believe in their core. They believe, I deserve what happened to me. I am bad. I want you to think about the chains in that message for a minute. Think about the heaviness in that message. There is no hope in that. And we have the honor and privilege of saying to those girls, not only did you not deserve the bad things that happened to you, but you are a daughter of the king who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that you could know freedom. Friends, he wants you to be free so you can free others. I just, in closing this morning, I, I want to show you, I want to show you one last, last photo. Let's show, yes. I, I've used this photo quite a bit through the years because I think like the junkyard image, this photo is such a, it's a, it's a physical reminder of the spiritual This photo is a New York Times um, photo. It's several years old now, but it was taken in uh, in an area of Mexico City that is well known for trafficking and prostitution, um, not only of women, but of underage girls as well. And there, um, there was a New York Times photojournalist that heard about this taking place, and she went down to document it. Sure enough, day after day after day, These women are paraded and basically up on the auction block day after day after day after day after day. When you look at this photo and you look at that young woman, tell me what you see in her body language. What do you see? Shame, scared, fear. What else? doesn't want to be there, hopeless, alone. Ooh, that gives me chills. Alone, completely alone. When I look at this photo, I see all of that too. And I see something else. I see 
I see a group of men. And I think, was there not even one intercessor? Day after day after day after day, is there not one who's willing to intercede for her freedom? And then I think about what would Jesus do if he were in that crowd of men? (laughs) I love to think about that. I can tell you what he wouldn't do. He wouldn't stand still, would he? He would not be a bystander. Amen? I think if Jesus were in that crowd of men, he would elbow his way through the crowd, and I think he'd go to her. God is not calling us to be bystanders to the people who are oppressed. He is calling us to be interveners, to walk through the crowd, elbow our way through the crowd with the keys to freedom, which are only found in him, only found in him. Today, I just wanna challenge you to be intercessors in freedom. And as God's people make the world's problems your problem, Say, that's my problem. That's my problem. Because he's not calling us just to be bystanders. He's calling us to be freedom fighters. Let's go back to the scripture one more time. You know, when when Christ spoke these words... These these words are from Isaiah. We read it earlier from Isaiah. He's fulfilling his destiny. He's fulfilling prophecy, saying these words. And as Christ's followers, as Christ's followers, people who want to walk in his footsteps, this is our mandate. This is our destiny too. Read with me. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Oh God. We repent for the times that we didn't want to know. We repent for the times that maybe we just were so overcome with information that our hearts became apathetic, God. We don't want to be an apathetic people. Father, the world is full of hurting and oppressed people who are waiting to be set free. God, let your freedom come. And God, fulfill your freedom purposes in us. Make us your agents of freedom, God. Make us freedom fighters, following in your your footsteps to free the oppressed, Father, physically and spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church. 
where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.